Welcome to episode 14, Why Do We Memorize Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms? I am here with uh, our upper school department head, Terry Gant, and with our uh, one of our rhetoric teachers, Jeff Wright. Thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. We'll start off with a great quote, which says, when, one, when once one believes in a creed, one is proud of its complexity. As scientists are proud of the complexity of science, it shows how rich it is in, it is in discoveries. And that is G.K. Chesterton. So, guys, I'd like to ask you all, uh, we'll kind of walk through the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric of creeds, confessions, and catechisms. So, just give us some basic uh, grammar-level stuff here. What are creeds? What are confessions? What are catechisms? All right. Well, uh, we'll start, I guess, with um, creeds. Creeds are probably the simplest one to understand. Creeds are just um, uh, carefully thought out, well-written um, explanations of, in, in this context, Christian doctrine. And so, a creed uh, is is going to include um, either uh, a complete set of general truth that a person should know and believe in order to be a Christian, such as the Apostles' Creed, or it will specify a particular type of doctrinal knowledge, such as uh, the Trinity, for instance. And um, it will emphasize that, and it will be a uh, something that was written out. They were created a long time ago before people could read. And so in order to be able to understand the doctrine, they would be taught and they would memorize creeds, and then they could pass those on to their children who also could not read. So they could memorize these things well and, and be able to answer questions and know what they believed. So that's a creed. Um, a uh, confession is, is a little more detailed, and that's usually when a doctrinal issue is being debated or discussed, or if uh, a group of people are breaking away from a, a faith tradition, they will often write what's called a denominational confession or something like that. Um, probably the most famous in our circles is the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the governing confession for the Presbyterian Church, um, and uh, that's that's one that many people have heard of, and it's it's one of the one of the older ones that we would consider to be that we would consider to be orthodox. Um, uh, it's not the only one, uh, certainly, but it is a it, it expounds on all the doctrines that the in this case the Presbyterian Church believes and confesses to. And so, in order to be a Presbyterian, you have to believe all that stuff that's in it. So that's kind of the idea. Catechisms are questions and answers. You memorize the answers. So this is something that a pastor would do for a congregation, or parents would do for children, or teachers could do for students. You would ask them questions, they would have an answer that they have memorized, and then they would repeat it back to you. So it's an exercise in memorization. And the questions in this context, again, are going to be doctrinally related things such as, uh, what is the chief end of man? Um, and the answer to that one would be to know God and, and enjoy Him forever, um, or to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, and so it would memorize this, and it gives them some direction. They can answer questions from, from people out in the world. Um, so those are the three uh, the three categories that you just posed. So so which of these were interdenominational here at Highlander Academy? Uh, we have folks from lots of different various Protestant evangelical backgrounds. So what creeds can Confessions, catechisms, do we use at HRA and why? So the the lower school and the primary school use what we call what, what is called the New City Catechism, which was created um, by a Presbyterian minister, but it was created um, intentionally to be interdenominational. So it um, it does not uh, focus on any Presbyterian denominational distinctives. Um, the uh, many of the parents that have had kids here in lower and primary have experienced this already. They've they've they know their kids are learning these questions, but they're all uh, what we would. Term 
term mere Christianity. We borrow that term from C.S. Lewis, who says, you know, that uh, these are the kinds of things that in order to be a Christian, you have to understand and and believe. Um, Certainly, there's a minimum level of knowledge that you can understand and believe to be a Christian, but it enriches the Christian life to go beyond that, to learn more in depth and detail. And so the, the students, through this catechism questions, are learning more about those things. So that's the lower school and the primary school. The primary will focus on a like a limited version of the new city, which has much shorter answers. So it may be the answer may be something as simple as there is only one God, which is very easy for a kindergartner to understand. Right. right. Um, and the answer may be somewhat more lengthy for the um, like the sixth grade, for instance. Um, but the questions are the same. Uh, now the upper school does not do catechisms; we do creeds uh, and confessions. And uh, what we've done in the past two years is last year we used the the house namesakes. So we got a we got um, excerpts from the writings of uh, Ulrich Zwingli, Clement of Alexandria, Thomas Aquinas, and John Knox. And we um, we edited those down to where they would be something that was memorizable over a quarter. And then at the end of the quarter, the students are, are tested over that knowledge. So they have to memorize it throughout the quarter. Um, and uh, and then the year before that, we used historic uh, creeds, historic confessions. So we used, we did not use the Apostles' Creed because it was a little bit too short, uh, but we used the Athanasian Creed. We used the Nicene Creed. Um, I can't recall the, the Chalcedonian. Yeah, the Chalcedonian, I think, was the other one. The Athanasian Creed had to be split into two sections because it was so long. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's all. That's all good. That's great. That's really helpful. I think for our families to kind of understand where we're coming from on some of those things. So uh, thank you, Terry. Jeff, I'd like to ask you um, in thinking about creeds, confessions, and catechisms. Of course, you teach rhetoric for us, but also your your pastor. And so thinking about, um, I think a lot of times it's easy to look at that and go, well, why would we do all of that instead of just memorize scripture? So so what are, what are the important things that creeds, confessions, catechisms give us that maybe are not more important than scripture, but maybe just kind of parse through that a little bit for us? Yeah, well, confessions mark out who we are, and they also mark out where life can be found and flourishing can happen. So when you think about a confession, I think there's probably this, often this idea that doctrine sort of stifles and constricts. I think it's much better to think of it as a as sort of where good grazing can be found. And so it, it's sort of like when you go to the lake and there's a uh, there's a floating tube that marks out the swimming area. Right. So hey, go over here and have fun and enjoy the water. But if you get past here, you're going to be in a in a in a place of danger. Right. There might be boats coming by or something that would be at risk to you. Confessions help us do that. They say here's where life can be found. Here is the good grazing ground. And if you go past that, now you're in a place of danger. The other thing it does is um, it helps us think through what a guy I look up to named Al Mohler calls theological triage. So the people who are listening to this who have a medical background know that if you go into the emergency room, the person with like chest pains is going to get seen before the person with a persistent headache, right? right? Yeah. Well, theological triage tells us there are some doctrines that Christians need to be willing to die for. Is God triune? Is Jesus Christ divine? If you disagree with that, I'm going to say your soul's in danger and you can't make me say other than, you know, the the God who is is triune. Right. I'll die before I'll give that up. Not every doctrine rises to that level of importance. So at, at the second tier level, confessions help us say, look, this may be the difference between me as a Baptist and you as a Presbyterian. You may think children should be baptized. I'm going to say converts only. We're brothers. We expect to see each other in heaven and sure. figure out which one of us is right. We might, maybe we shouldn't be the members of the same church because that's going to affect our practice. Right. But nonetheless, these are these are important things to think through. 
And we can do it with Christian charity, right? And then that third tier is what people in the same church, same Sunday school class are going to go to coffee over and say, I think you're wrong, but I want to, you know, and I want to profit you, but I assume you think I'm wrong. You profit me. And you just kind of have a, a family debate. So confessions help, help us see how important one doctrine is in relation to another. The thing that a catechism comes along and does is is kind of write that into our heart. So I think a lot of people who hear catechism think of high church traditions, but really what we should be thinking of is the introduction to Luke's gospel. Luke tells Theophilus, I've given you an orderly account, so you'll know with assurance the things you've been taught. Yeah, that's good. And the Greek word there translated taught is katecheo, it's catechism. The early church would have understood just what Terry was talking about with catechism. You learn the doctrines of the faith by having questions given to you. You get a proposition back if you're the if you're the one doing the catechizing, the catechumen spits the answer back to you, and that doctrine is being written into the synapses of your mind, but also the fibers of your heart. Uh, my favorite catechism is if you'll allow me, guys, a Baptist correction of the Heidelberg Catechism called the Orthodox Catechism. But if you go read the first two or three questions of the Heidelberg or the Orthodox. You'll see how devotional they are. Yeah. You know, what do you need to live and die in faith? What's your only comfort in life? Mm. Uh, you know, Jesus watches over me in such a way that not a hair of my head can fall apart from his will. Uh, yeah, good head knowledge, but great heart knowledge, right? Yeah. To connect the two, which good doctrine and good discipleship should do. And so the last thing I will tell you is that catechisms are two things that I think we don't anticipate if we're not used to using them. Catechisms are discipleship. This is how you build a robust appreciation, love, and knowledge of Christian doctrine into uh, a, a heart, at least traditionally, starting with the early church. Or if you go back and look at great revivals, so you think about the Reformation, you think about um, some of the stuff that was happening in England with like Charles Spurgeon, um, all these great movements of God, great awakening, they always come, of course, with good preaching, but very quickly good hymns come because you sing the truth in your heart through good hymns. That's good. And then somebody starts writing a catechism right away because this is just building Christians. The other thing that I think catechisms do that we maybe don't anticipate is that catechisms do evangelism. Uh, If we were meeting with the early church and someone showed up and said, I'm interested in this Christ you're proclaiming. How do I become a Christian? Now, we're probably all around this table and gather, you know, the ones who are listening, if they're part of the school here, we're probably from the evangelical tradition. So we would think, confess him as Lord, repent of your sin, uh, believe he's everything he claims to be, right? And then we would have them pray a prayer. Perfectly fine. Countless people have been saved that way. The early church would have said, let's start going through catechism. And they would have started throwing propositional truth about Jesus at people. As it took root in that person's heart, they would be brought into the church and recognized as a believer. Again, I don't want to say that either or here. Sure. I think both methodologies are deeply appropriate. Right. Um, but catechism is the one that looks like Jesus saying, a seed is planted, someone comes along and waters it, God gives the growth, right? Thanks be to God that so many people are saved by the, the hearing of the gospel the first time. It's like God flips a switch. Yes. But also a lot of people have been saved by saying, here's who Jesus is. Do you believe it? Here's some more of who Jesus is. Do you believe it? It's like you used to love. Yeah, absolutely. In the best sense of that word. Yeah, that's good. There's some interesting historical cases where um, like the, the Vikings would convert if they were losing badly to the Saxons, which were Christian people. And so in order to uh, initiate peace treaties, they would often convert. But rather than merely accept that at face value, these uh, these Danish uh, pagans would have to undergo a year of, cat- of being a catechumen. And then once their year was up of doing that, then the next time there was a holy day, they would be allowed to be baptized if they continued to confess that. So they, uh, they did not necessarily take that at face value. And that 
that was common for children as well. If the children wanted to confess Christ, they would have waited until they were young adults, really. They would have waited until they were teenagers and they had been through the whole catechism process and demonstrated that they had the knowledge. There's an understanding that we can't, we cannot judge the heart. Like there's the, uh, we call the faith of the devil where he knows that there's, that Jesus is Lord and right. you can know that and still not be saved. Absolutely. Really. And so, um, but we can't judge the heart, but to know the head knowledge and to know that they know the head knowledge is, is pretty much as far as we can go. And that is, as parents and as teachers, is really what we want to see in the catechisms, creeds, and confessions help us to do that. That's good. So what we're saying, are we saying by choosing to, um, you know, disciple and evangelize people with creeds, confessions, catechisms, are we elevating that above Scripture? Well, I'll speak to it as a pastor. Absolutely not. You know, a good confession is going to start with the Bible alone is the highest authority. Yeah, that's good. But it is. we do see confessions as a quick reference. So probably all of our listeners are used to going to a website and seeing an FAQ section where it's just quick answers yes. to common questions. Common questions. Confessions do that for us. So what do we believe about the Bible? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Here are the scriptures that prove that. What do we believe about Jesus? Da-da-da. Propositional statements. Here's the verses that back that up. So no, it is not on par with scripture, but the value of a confession is the degree to which it corresponds to scripture and gives us, a, again, a, a quick and easy reference point to say, you know, here's what we think. Yes. on this major topic in the Bible. Right, that's good. And we do that even at Highlander Academy. If you go to our website, you can find a statement of faith. Right? These are the these are the quick, fundamental things that we believe about who God is and who people are, and those things flow right out of the Scriptures. Right? Thank you guys so much. That's all really good. Um, what would be some, if you guys could say, what are some really great parent resources uh, that we could hand off when it comes to creeds, confessions, and catechisms? Um, obviously, creeds, confessions, and catechisms are great resources. Resources, but which ones maybe would you specifically point to? What what resources might you have for parents? I would start with um, if you're a parent who has a, a very young child, a baby, even um, clearly they're not going to be able to interact with the with the catechisms until they're able to talk um, and they and they have some some reasoning capacity. But by the time your child's about two, um, you can start uh, doing this with them. And the one that I use at home with my little girl who just turned two is uh, the Children's Catechism, which you can find probably a number of places. But the one I use is on Reform.org. And I, I just pull it directly off the website. Um, the questions are very simple. It's things like, um, who made you? And the answer to that is God. God. Um, you know, uh, what else did God make? What else did he make? All he made things. all things yeah. or everything. Um, uh, why did he make you and everything? And the answer is for his glory. And so you you work through, um, you start with what the, the two-year-old understands, which is me, right? The two-year-olds are, are very self-absorbed because that's their stage of development and that's appropriate and normal. And so they um, they start with themselves and they know that, that God, and, and the catechism teaches them not merely factoids to know, but also it kind of, uh, it, it attunes their heart to understand that there is something bigger than them and it is God and that God cares for them and loves them. Because one of the questions a little further down is, why should you love God or why should you worship God? And the answer is because he made me and because he takes care of me. And so they're they're learning that God is good. They're learning that he is just and right and all these attributes about God and who he is. Well, and they're learning to form their own identity yes. in light of who he is. They think of themselves in light yeah, of who he is, good. which is a major battle of discipleship in every age. But, you know, you think about all the issues that are pressing in on us right now. Mm-hmm. 
super important. Yeah. Um, for if you're a if you're a person who's in, in a denominational church, you may want to ask your pastor if there's a denominational confession or a denominational catechism that's specific to to uh, what you could use. Also, the New City Catechism can be purchased. Um, there's two versions of it. There's one that's just a simply the questions and the answers, and then there's another one that's the New City Devotional, which is a little more adult appropriate because it uh, it goes into more depth. Because um, ultimately, catechisms are not the end. They're they're sort of the beginning. And when we we talked about scripture and and really a catechism is a quick reference, like we've said, but we want the students to go to a place where the catechism and the creeds and confessions are insufficient. They want to go straight to the scripture and learn it themselves and study those issues directly from the text. Um, now, the creeds and confessions will help them hold them over until they're old enough and they have the hermeneutical skill to study those things. But um, uh, all these things are, are really good in addition to scripture to, to yeah, help them. So. That's good. There's also an app for the New City Catechism, which yeah. I think you can get on your phone, which is really good and helpful. And that's, mm-hmm. the, of course, the catechism that we use here yeah. at HRA. And parents should consider learning that because your kids are learning that here. And it might be nice around the dinner table to be able to pitch questions. And, and you know that, that's a great conversation starter. And it's a great way to disciple your kids. It's a great way to do family devotions. People are thinking, yeah. through, how do I get started doing family devotions? Yeah. If you can come together around a meal, breakfast or dinner, run through the school catechism. Yeah, it's a wonderful. great way. Yeah, and then really talk good. about, just pick a question and think about, go into a little more detail. You know, let your let your kids walk away from the dinner table with a little more knowledge than simply the answer to the question. All right, guys. Thank you guys for being with us. Can I throw one more out there? One more, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think if you're leery of catechisms, go find the Heidelberg. It's available for free everywhere. Just read the first five or ten questions, and I think it'll show its merit to you. But if this has provoked your interest, a guy named J.I. Packer, who's a very profitable writer, has written a book called Grounded in the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And it's not the smallest book. It's probably two, 250 pages. Well, it's J.I. Packer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but man, it really gives you a heart because he shows you how, in a way that sounds like the Western tradition, right? This is how great minds have been educated throughout history. Mm-hmm. He shows you that the Christians that we're all like hoping we grow up to be or that our kids grow up to be were deeply involved in the process of catechism and it bore fruit uh, literally beyond their lives and so Grounded in the Gospel by J.I. Packer if you really want to go kind of take a deep dive that's a good one yeah thank you well thank you guys so much for being here we will wrap up with a couple greater quotes we have an upcoming fourth grader um, when asked about creeds, confessions catechisms why we do these things said to learn more about God and learn scripture which is a great answer and then we have an upcoming eighth grader who said a young lady who said because we are a Christian school so we should memorize Christian things. And that's also a great answer. We are a Christian school and we want to learn Christian Christian doctrine and Christian things. So thank you very much for being with us. Next time will be episode 15. Why do we read the great books? Guys, thank you for being with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me.